My next guest is somebody who I've known all my life. She was a person who protected me growing up. She was a person who was there when I least expected it. She was my protector. She's a person I needed. She's a person I could talk to. She is somebody who I looked up to, admired. And after today's interview, I admire her even more. Even though her and I have had our ups and downs, she is more than I could ever imagined. Growing up, her life wasn't easy. Her life was difficult, full of challenges, complications, and she always had a good head on her shoulders to know who to turn to when things got tough. She found her God at an early age. She understood stuff that a lot of people did not at an early age. She understood that praying, going inside herself, was sometimes the best answer for her problems. As we'll hear in this show, when things got tough, she prayed to God. When things got easy, she prayed to God. She always knew that God was there for her no matter what. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is my sister, Melanie K. Lewis Hugely. And it's Church Table Productions time. I am Dan Lewis, your host. This is the show that we talk about the who, what, where, how, when, and why you became what you came. You believe what you believe. Whatever that is, it's an open mic. It's a perfectly beautiful thing to do. So whatever you want to talk about, whatever you want to say on this show goes. It's entirely up to you. Today's episode is featuring none other than my sister, Melanie Lewis, or Melanie K. Hughley. And Melanie... Yes, hello. Hello. So my sister is here. She's in from out of town, and she's talking to us about who is she? What do you believe? What you believe? And why do you believe in all this good stuff? So Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. I appreciate this. I was really proud of you to see that you did this. I was surprised to see that you had this program coming up, but I thought this is perfect, actually. It's a wonderful um, way to get people to kind of tell their individual stories. I really enjoyed listening to mom. Um, I knew a lot of what she was saying, but of course she also added in some extra stuff and I'm looking forward to hearing your other guests. Um, I think it's a, it's a nice topic and a nice forum and I appreciate you doing this. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming on to the show. Okay. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So the first question is simple. Tell me about when you were born and what life was like for you. All right. Well, in your own words. Okay. So I am Melanie K. Lewis. And I'm born and in 1976 to... I was to say, you don't have to age yourself, but too late. I was born in 1980, or 1976 to one uh, Diana K. Adams Lewis and uh, Calvin Brian Lewis. And uh, was born in Dallas, Texas. And I came home to a house in Carrollton. Um, that's where I lived. My parents still live at the same house. And um, mom and dad... Uh, you know, uh, have lived, I think, a real 
traditional kind of life in Carrollton, kind of the suburbia, American dream kind of house, yeah. home life, that sort of thing for us. And um, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, Excuse me. I think, uh, so anyway, um, I guess, do you want me to talk about our faith and that sort of stuff? Whatever you want to talk about. Um, this, well, this is a faith-driven show. It's not a Catholic show, so it's a faith-driven yeah. show. So being raised, we were in, um, you know, mom was Catholic, dad was not. I always thought that was really... Dad was Baptist. Uh, he was Baptist, but you didn't know he was Baptist because he just would stay at home at uh, every Sunday. So mom would get us dressed up and dad would get sleep in and uh, we were the ones getting ready to go to uh, church. And I didn't really understand that. It bothered me. I thought it was, you know hypocritical and unfair basically yeah. that we had to get up and go and he got the stay at home but um that was just the way things were he did come along with us on christmas mm -hmm. and easter but he would always excuse himself early on easter to either go hide the eggs or mm -hmm. something like that yeah um but you know so he was kind of a twice a year catholic i felt like um when i went we uh St. St. Catherine's of Siena was actually, it started at Woodlake, so they call it St. Woodlake. And so I remember going in the cafeteria, which was the cafeteria auditorium kind of thing, and the priest would pull out of the closet um, like a lectern and, and a table and turn, you know, a table into the altar there. And yeah. I remember they would line up all the little folding metal chairs there in Woodlake and we would sit down and do that. And I made my first communion in Woodlake, actually. Don't I remember having a white dress that mom got me. It was like very uh, simple white. It wasn't the fluffy first communion dresses. It was like lace, eyelet, kind of 70s looking <laughs> material. And I remember singing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. And grandma coming and papa coming for that. Um, so ever since I was little, I guess faith-wise, I've always really, it was a part of my culture. This is what we do. This is where we go. Um, this is how we grow. Um, this is what we do in life. Dads don't do it. It's a mom. It's a woman's thing, I guess, maybe. It's just what women and children do. Dads don't do that. I don't know. And that felt kind of weird. Um... In middle school, um, I grew a little bit stronger in my faith um, because, of course, we would have more intensive like lock-ins and um, programs with the um, CCD um, where they would have, um, where we're leading up with our, um, you know, sacraments and getting ready for confirmation. And I remember having some really great um, retreat times where we would go in the church and really pray. And uh, I felt really close to God. And I think that's when I made my faith my own. Um, I'd listened to some of your past, you know, things that you've had about that, your past shows, I mean, um, and you'd kind of shared about that. Um, and you had said, oh, this didn't, you had made a comment like it didn't really mean anything or you didn't understand it. And I, I thought, well, you know, it just really is, it depends on you individually where you're at mm -hmm. and what you were paying attention to. I did pay attention mm -hmm. and it did hit me and I did think a lot about it. And, so how old were um, you when that happened? Well, I remember even going as like a first grader and a second grader when we did finally move to that other church um, and having the classes and we would have these Sunday afternoon 
um, CCD classes and we would talk about, you know, faith and God and mm. what it meant. And in fact, I remember some, I have some friends, um, one particular Kim Tran, and she's actually still my friend on Facebook and went to elementary school and graduated high school with me. And she was in my CCD classes. Remember? And I remember we would talk a lot about it. They would have these like books. They were, um, like kind of like workbooks and you'd tear them out like papers and mm -hmm. you would be like, let's write what our faith is about. And it was like fill in the blank kind of things. And like today's topic is the Holy spirit. Right. And yeah. you'd have to like fill in things like that. And I remember doing that. And I think for me, that's when, you know, I guess I was always a good student as a child. I enjoyed school and I liked school. So for me making it an academic activity, mm -hmm. just like I would try to remember you know, dates and facts about history, I'm remembering the facts and the information about wow. my faith. So to me, it was just like, I'm learning just like I'm learning in school. Just like I learn a math problem, I'm learning how to do what is our faith. So I would listen and pay attention. So I always understood what I was doing. And I remember when we did confirmation, they were very serious about it. Like you are now becoming an adult in the Catholic faith. So you have a choice. Your parents can't make you. You get to choose. And yeah, so, they don't say that now. Um, so now, I remember there were some yeah. people, of uh, friends of mine, a couple, one named Doug, um, and he basically, he was in our group and going along with us. He decided not to because he's like, you know what? I don't really believe it. Everything we're talking about. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't believe it? We've yeah. been working on this this whole time. We've been hanging out. What have you been doing this whole time? You know, for him, it wasn't clicking. For him, it wasn't yeah. making sense. So it was, it was at that point where I was like, whoa, you know, this is kind of a personal choice. You know, everyone has to kind of meet that. I did have some, like, I remember very specifically on one retreat that we had, and we had contemplative prayer time where we would go in and we were praying in front of the um, statue of Mary. And I remember asking God, because do you know how they are, are always pushing for more people to live the religious life? Yeah. And I was really having a conversation with God, like, God, look, do you, am I supposed to become a nun? Because I was thinking, like, am I called? Because they always talk Whoa. about God is calling. So I was like, yeah. God, am I going to be a nun? Like, let me pray hard about this. And I remember just playing really hard. And um, and Mary, you know, we were kind of contemplating on Mary. And again, we're not Mary, praying to Mary. We're praying for Mary to intercede on our behalf. And I looked to Mary a lot because she was the mother of God. And she said, um, I'm your handmaiden. Yeah. I will do your will. So basically, Mary's role is that she completely gave herself 100% to God. Yeah. She shamed herself. Her name was trash because she got pregnant out of wedlock. Yeah. You know, so she's someone who's like willing to go through and discredit herself completely for the, her love of, of God. And so for me, you know, is God, is this what you're wanting for my life? Is, is my will to be a, you know, a nun or to be in the religious life? Um, and I got a resounding no. <laughs> it was no you um you i have something better for you you're gonna have a family you're gonna have a plan and and i almost kind of wanted to hear that in a way wow. because i wanted someone i wanted god choose me in a way yeah. in that sense but i knew also too i've had that talks i've had lots of talks with god i've, I've experienced him in a lot of ways in my life but he's called me to be a mom and to be this role which is very different so yeah. i guess once i got that no um in my life, I wanted to become a very powerful businesswoman. Um, yeah. And uh, and God kind of redirected me. I, I didn't, where I am now is not where I thought it would be. Um, I mean, you know, mom and dad had a very tumultuous um, relationship growing up. Uh, mom was a teacher. Dad was a salesman. There was a lot of fighting and a lot of strife in our home. 
um, I looked at that framework and I did not want that for my family and I wanted out of that. And for me, the way to get out of that was to study really hard, get a great education and get an amazing job so that I could be financially independent and not have to rely on a man or, or something (laughs) to basically provide for me. And I'll be, and I won't ever feel like a victim to my circumstances. So for me, like becoming a teacher was almost like a bad thing. And that sounds really rude now that I have wonderful teacher friends and wonderful. Um, I mean, they're the ones that I look up to so much because they're with my kids all day long. I see what wonderful people they are. But at the time to me, that was like a negative thing. Like that's the worst you could do. Um, because look what happens, you know? Um, so I wanted better for myself and that, and I really had a fire in my belly to kind of become more and do more. Um, and, uh, and it's funny because through my life and the process that everything kind of turned out in a way, I am like mom, I'm a mom that, you know, has the kids and I am still, although I am successful and I am, you know, I own my own business and I do my own thing. Um, I see a lot of value in what mom did and how she gave of herself and kind of submitted uh, to dad in that way and uh, kind of humbled herself and just yeah. to to make mom number, being a mom number one. I don't do it as well as mom. Sometimes I look at her and I'm like, I can't believe how much she gave of herself. Yeah. Um, Jason, my husband, is so giving and so helpful more than dad ever was. He, Jason puts the kids to bed at night Um gets them up in the morning, most mornings, um, and, uh, just fills in, does a lot of motherly duties so that I don't necessarily have to do them. Not that I don't want to do them, but he enjoys that role. So it's interesting how the generation, so it's interesting generationally, you know, how our parents were and then how it is now. It's, it's different. Wow. You're Man, there's so much in there. Okay. I know, I know. We can unpack so much, right? That's uh, heavy. Yeah. So <laughs> we're we're going to we're try to at least. Okay. So you were in, wow. So you were in first grade when you started to understand what's going on. Yeah. That's remarkable. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't get like uh, there's people out there like even my wife and other people that I met in my in the church now. They're like, I didn't understand it till I was 29. But you understood it in first grade. Well, I knew God was there. I mean, I think he always, he's always there. He's ever present. Yeah. My faith was there. Um, I think through the the hard times that we had, I turned to God a lot. When mom and dad would fight and there were tough times, I, yeah. I prayed. And I and I think that he protected me and uh, um, okay. gave me comfort. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're... Uh... Yeah. So what, what you, when, when did a nun thing, I never knew this <laughs> coming. Really? Yeah. When, how old were you? Well, like, I mean, they kind of start, you, you lead up to, I guess our like, recon, okay. So reconciliation is what second grade, first grade is communion, second or third grade is uh, reconciliation. Uh, yeah. That's your penance. And then you go and it's middle school, middle school's rough patch, but they have you in that kind of more, um, you go from just the Sunday one hour to the, it was on a Sunday night and it would be like an hour and a half and they would feed us food. Yeah. And so they would have a longer kind of CCD time. Um, I don't remember any of this. Yeah. Um, and I remember they always fed us really good cause it's funny cause the church we go to now with my kids, I've got, you know, two middle schoolers and a, 
and the little one, they don't like feed them, but they would feed us. I remember buying big things of like Jack in a box and stuff like that. So it was kind of like they lure you in with food and pizza and stuff like that. And then you kind of stay for the message. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's still the way it goes today. But yeah, but you know, there's yeah, always been this shortage of like priests and nuns and things like mm-hmm. that. Right. And so yeah. they're always praying for vocations and that sort yeah. of thing. And yeah. so that was always going, I mean, that was going on in the nineties. So, um, I just really, um, yeah, I don't know. I just took it on. I think God is real and he's tangible. I know he's real and tangible. He's um, He's shown himself so many times in my life, um, particularly um, as, I've, as an adult. He's come in in some really, you know, uh, tight moments. I talk a lot about, and I'll share openly with people, like when I was um, giving birth to my first child, Maddie, I took this class called uh, First Through First Birth Ministries, and basically what it is is a doula midwife type approach, um, pain-free childbirth. No, it's not pain-free. There's pain, but a drug-free childbirth, um, and you basically re- rely on the scriptures for your strength. And so we would study beforehand. They would teach us like what's going to happen in the phases of labor, but you basically were praying along the way um, and reading scripture so that when you're in the moment and the pain of um, childbirth that you're really relying on God's strength and, um, and just repeating the scripture that, you know, God doesn't give us anything we can't handle. And I remember my whole life, it's been about if I've, and I learned this lesson early as a kid, if you work hard and you try hard and you actually put your energy, you can make anything happen. You can make anything happen if you try hard enough. And with childbirth, (laughs) that was one time where I really was trying my best and I couldn't, make it happen. It was at the end of me. And I remember pushing and pushing at the very end. And at the end of me where I thought I could not give one more push only at the end of me, then did Maddie start coming out? I remember she was like stuck and it was at the very end of my strength and my being. That's when things happened. That's when God tapped me on the shoulder and said, are you done, Melanie? I got this. Let me, let me show you the splendor. I can only do so much. And and I think in this world, we think in our circumstances, I want to control. I want to be in charge. God ultimately has the, the, he's in control. So that's when I saw the face of God was when he came in and he took over at that moment. And it was at my, we see this all the time at my weakest is when he he throws, he shows his strength. And Paul was the same. He says when at my, you know, when my pain is when you show your strength, it's when we can't do is when God does. And I think that's really hard for us in this day and age. Um, we have so much technology. We have so many distractions in our life. We can numb out so easily to the world instead of turning to God. Another big time I ran into to God, um, I, I've suffered from mental um, illness for many years. I suffered from depression, kind of started in high school. I remember in college, though, getting really bad and um, just being kind of undiagnosed and not really being able to handle it well. But I remember my junior year, one of the times where I was just at my lowest and I was very suicidal at the time. And I remember just being on my hands and knees in my apartment in Austin and just, you know, just really saying, God, I can't do it anymore. I just, this is going to be it. And I felt a presence around me and it felt like somebody was hugging me and it was really beautiful. And I felt like I got this. Um, it wasn't the only time that I 
had been that way or, or, or struggled with that. And I had had other times of being depressed and suicidal since then. But that was a moment where I really felt that God was real and present and he was with me. So I, I say that time. The other kind of fun on a lighter note time is um, I always, uh, I don't know if you remember that. Um, so I went to college. I got a degree in German, uh, a BA in German, and then a BS in uh speech corporate communications. Um, I had this big dream and big idea that I would go to Germany and be this businesswoman. I had an internship with Lufthansa, the airlines, and, and, and interned in Hamburg, Germany, and I had this wonderful, fabulous life. And I had wanted to marry a German. Like, I wanted to have this life in Germany. It didn't happen that way. Kind of God squashed it a little bit. I, uh, it was a big long story there. I ended up you know, meeting Jason, which was the great thing, but, you know, living in Houston and, um, feeling like I had failed because I wasn't using that degree and, and feeling like I didn't yeah. really, I wasn't succeeding in the path that I wanted. But one of uh, the biggest gift was when I have, I gave birth to Henry. So I'm going through birth the second time and the second birth, by the way, I was not, we didn't pay to have that, uh, first birth ministries lady there. And it was not as peaceful. Jason, and I had been fighting that night and it was a, a tough, tough delivery. And, um, anyway, he came out, Henry, uh, Jay, Henry, <laughs> Henry came out, um, and this little pink blonde haired, blue eyed surfer dude looking German looking kid came out and he just captured my heart. And I thought, you know, this is how I know God exists. He gives me, you, you delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Same with Maddie. Um, one of my favorite holidays was, uh, it's always been Halloween and yeah. he gives me a Halloween baby and he gives me a German baby. And he um, also gives me a baby that is um, JJ in my last one. Um, he's such a cuddle bug and he's so affectionate with me and I need that and want that in life. And so mm, that's how I know God. God's got me, even though I don't have this career I thought I was going to have in this fabulous life in Europe and Germany and this whatever, being this baller woman that I thought it was going to be. He gave me what really matters. Yeah. And these, these beautiful children. And that's how I know God is alive and he loves me and he actually cares about me in my heart. Yes, for sure. Wow. Wow. Okay. Right on. Um, This is, uh, yes, I, I remember, I, I definitely remember you going to Germany and, uh, and I actually have nothing to add here because this is beyond me. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So folks, this is the first time I'm actually hearing this from my own sister. So this lost, this is all new stuff to me too. So what is it that you hadn't heard before? Well, I knew that you I knew that in high school, I knew that growing up was tough for both of us. And I knew that going, um, I wasn't, for me, for me growing up, uh, I relied on you to protect me. And, and I wasn't prepared to go through this. So I, I, I you protected me. And, and then, and then, and I knew in high school that you were, uh, you were the senior as a freshman and, 
And so I remember people were like, oh, it's Melanie's little brother. And um, it was a great thing. It was a great feeling. It was cool. And then when you left, you went on to college. You went to UT in Austin. I, I had no idea what you're going through because we never really talked like that. And you were uh, your freshman year. You came home a lot. But then after that, you stopped coming home. And I guess that's when things, I just remember one day you were, you were, you were happy. And then the next day you weren't. And I realized when I learned, I think I learned from Jason um, that you started going through a lot of uh, counseling and just trying to figure things out from, from our childhood. Yeah, it was definitely tough. It's been a lifelong. And, you know, I'm not to say, you know, now being a mom and being older, I have more respect than ever for my our parents. I think they did the best they could with what they had. Um, there's a lot to be said and unpacked there, but um, yeah. I love them to death and, and they love my kids. And we have a different relationship now than I did when I was young, but it definitely, I was working out lots of demons there, lots of demons. And, um, it was very difficult for a lot of years. I did not have a good relationship, but I've built that back up and, and things are much better now. And, you know, we're older and wiser and, you yeah. know, they had us when they were very young. I mean, mom was 23 when she had me and yeah. dad was 26. So, I mean, I think about where I was. No, I think dad was 23. Mom was 21. When they were married, she had me when she was 23. I know that okay, for a fact. Okay. But, you oh, know, right. I didn't have Maddie until I was 29 and then Henry was 30. So, yeah. you know, already I was that much older and more mature with them. So, you know, they and it was also a different time and age back then. Um, the world's changed. You know, their sexism was alive and well. I look back at you ever watch old movies now and then like I watched the other day Urban Cowboy. <laughs> Bad yeah. movie to watch. But like he slaps you know, the wife and she's like, Oh, I love you anyway. Like back in the day, like, you know, men beat their wives. That was cool. That was normal. That not cool, but it was acceptable. It was like yeah. what you did. And like now it's like, Oh my gosh. I mean, now you can't even look at the me too movement. You can't get away with anything without being blown out of proportion. It's a whole mm -hmm. new ball game. Um, but you know, um, Anyway, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting. But um, I think the faith, though, has been one of the things that kind of knocked on me. So in my low points, and, and so when, when you go to college, you are surrounded. You're ultimately on your own. And back in the day, this is kind of pre-cell phone days, um, you had long-distance phone calls, but you would get a long-distance bill for like $300 yeah. for just calling a few times to home. So you really were on your own a lot. And this is when you really have to decide who are you, what do you believe? Where do you really stand? And, and yeah. um, what had happened was I started, because I was so hyper um, motivated to get out of our situation when I was in high school. I don't know if you remember, but I was. Yeah. Um, I was there. I was uh, in band. I was senior lieutenant in the color guard. I was the president of SAD, Students Guns Drunk Driving. I was German club president. I was National Honor Society um, I had, was doing pageants. I had a boyfriend. I did everything in the world to just keep myself very busy and make my resume look amazing so I could go to a good school. I was burnt out basically. And so my, um, freshman year I said, okay, well, I'm not going to rush. I'm just going to go and enjoy things, um, rushing for a sorority. Yeah. So when I went into that dorm that freshman year, I had started off on one. I said I wanted to become a doctor because doctors is a nice, easy career to say this means success. If you're a doctor, yeah. you are going to do this. I also liked biology. I enjoyed it. So I was a biology pre-med major 
And basically my first semester at UT, I got an F as in Frank. Now I say that as a joke because, um, but it's really awful. You used to have to call in to get your grades. So coming home after my freshman year, you would call into a phone number to find out what your final grades were in the, um, in the class. And I remember not doing good in that class, but thinking I'd pull it up somehow at the end and go into a lot of office hours. But when you call yeah. in, they would say, you have an A as in Adam, B as in boy, C as in Charlie. And I always kind of joked, like I, maybe a student would call in and see here as a D as in David. Yeah. I bet nobody has heard many times from UT, what does an F sound like? So everyone knows like, oh, A is Adam. Like you might oh, say Apple, yeah, yeah. B is boy. And they're like, okay. And C by, you know, is Charlie. That's what they'll say. Yeah. F is in Frank. That's how they do. And so your biology 302, F as in Frank. And yeah. I was so mortified. I was like, F is in Frank. Why don't you just say F is in freaking loser? F is in freaking do over. F is in you freaking or, you know, just die now. Yeah. And I was like mortified. So I was like, okay, who am I? What am I going to do? What do I really want to be? But I'm not a quitter. I'm going to yeah. try really hard. So I took it again, the same class, Biology 302, my second semester in my sophomore year, and pulled out a C. And at this point, I'm like, look, this biology thing, this is not going to work. It's a real weed-out class. Everybody knows this. I didn't, though, because my model is, hey, if you work harder, you can make anything happen. And I was basically learning in that situation hey, guess what? Sometimes you're just not meant for certain things. So God, what is it you really want me to do? And yeah. so at this moment, I was like, okay, well, what do you really like to do? So I really enjoy the social aspect. So I said, let's get involved in a sorority. So I joined, um, I rushed the following um, fall. Um, by the way, I did go to Germany that first between my freshman and sophomore year, and it was an exchange program because you have to have so many hours of uh, foreign language. And I had taken German in high school and I had taken my freshman year German classes and was fairly good at it. I said, okay, well, I'll do this exchange program. And basically it would finish off my requirements for my foreign language. So I went to Wurzburg, Germany, which is in, um, Southwest Germany near Frankfurt and, um, had an interesting time there. Uh, a fun time, educational and formative time really opened up my eyes that fall year I joined a sorority and the sorority was a traditional Greek sorority and I went through it but by the end of that sorority they ended up coming in and closing my sorority <laughs> and the thing is once you rush a, a Greek sorority you're that for life you can't go join another one and I feel like such a loser like why did I choose this one man I could have chosen this other one and they're happy they'd be having well, events you... the old, you know the whole way so this throws me even more of an depression so, so was that a, a foreseen thing no I didn't see it coming at all everybody was blindsided oh. and it turned out that we ended up suing them and it turned out that we had the largest land in west campus and it was like a financial deal yeah. our chapter really wasn't big enough to pay for a, this chapter and the national headquarter wanted to sell it off and make money on it and so you know so much for sisterhood they were just about the money yeah and so we tried to stay together as friends but then you kind of disseminated so here you are in this big university and what you do in a big university that like UT in Austin, is you do kind of find your little tribe. You go into yeah. your little clubs. That's how you survive. Well, my little club just broke up, and those girls didn't want to hang out anymore. And so now what are we going to do? So I'm, like, depressed. I'm, I'm battling what I know is major depressive disorder now, um, not, you know, self-medicating with alcohol party friends, um, doing whatever I can, and just spending a lot of time at the mental health center at UT 
the student mental health center. You go get free counseling there and just trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to do with my life. And, um, I'm struggling. I'm just struggling and having all sorts of issues and just kind of getting by and had bad breakup after bad breakup with boyfriends. And then, so I find I go to mass, um, they have a university Catholic center. It's on campus, right on the edge of campus in the front of the tower footprint. And I'd go to mass at, at uh, noon. And I remember just kind of praying after one particular um, <laughs> bad breakup. And I said, God, I just want to have someone to love. I know that I'm supposed to just love you, but I want to love somebody. Yeah. I want to share my life with somebody. I want, um, please, God, give me a tall. I want a tall because I'm tall. Yeah. I wanted a, a tall Longhorn, Catholic, <laughs> Longhorn, tall Catholic Longhorn. Please, God, this is all I want. Yeah. I had gone one more summer over to Germany when I did an internship, and I remember I was traveling around. I would gotten a Euroworld pass, and I was able to see these beautiful things, and I felt so lonely. I remember, in fact, I was on top of this mountain in uh, Austria, and I was looking out, and I was seeing this beautiful vista, and I thought to myself, God, thank you for this beauty, beautiful look, this outlook that I'm seeing. I just want someone to share it with. What good is it that I'm this fantastic businesswoman that gets to see the world if I don't have someone to share it with? Mm. I want a life partner. You know, because before having a life partner meant being bound, like maybe my mom was bound. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be free and call my own shots and do it. So this was my moment where I was like, I do want to have someone. Yeah. I do want to have a life where I am bound and I want to share it because what good is it? I can see this beautiful thing, but if no one, you know, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it, did it even make a sound? If I'm seeing this beautiful view up on, in Austria mountains and seeing this gorgeous view and I'm not there to share it, does it really mean anything? Yes, it does to me and God's there, but I really wanted a tangible, like, person that I can share this experience with. And so that was my decision that I did know in my heart that I wanted to be married and I wanted to have a family. And so, um, after my sorority closing, um, I started hanging out the, the, the Catholic center and, um, they actually had a women's Catholic sorority. So it's non-Greek and this means that I can join it officially because once you're one sorority, you can never join another. Yeah. You're like that for life. You're branded for life. Yeah. I can because this is not an official Greek sorority. And I met these girls. So I joined my – I went five years. My first senior year, I joined it. And um, and it was just a nice group of girls that were um, – they weren't snobby. It wasn't about what clothes you were wearing, what party you were going to. They were just interested in their love of God and then sharing the college experience, helping one another out, trying to figure out what class is good, what professor is bad, um, where to live, where to go, what yeah. to do. I mean, what you would normally do like in an organization, um, you know, that's what you do when you get in these sororities and things. It's not just for the parties. It's about the mentorship, the older girls helping out the younger girls navigate you know, the system. And so having this nice group of ladies, and to this day, they're still some of my best friends. I love them to pieces. Um, but in that group, I was able to really, again, hone in my faith and really turn to it um, in my hard times because I was facing the fact that, um, you know, my dreams had not been coming true at this point. I was not being the success that I had wanted to be. Although I had switched over. I'd wanted to go into the business school, but in order for you to transfer at UT into the business school, you have to have a 4.0. Yeah. 
statistically, when you get an F as in Frank your first semester, you will never be able to pull it up to a 4.0, no matter how many A's you follow that with. Statistically, you're screwed, right? Yeah. So basically, I'm not able to get into the business school. So I kind of piecemeal together an international business degree by getting a German degree and a speech corporate communications degree. And so I interned for Lufthansa Airlines in Hamburg and uh, was trying to work up to, to having this great life there. Um, one of the boyfriends I had had when I was a freshman who was um, in the Navy, um, f- Navy, he was a senior, he was graduating. He was, uh, we were very much in love and he said, you know, I said, you know, I want to go and live in Germany. And he said, babe, we're never going to live in Germany. I'm a Navy pilot. I'm going, we're going to be stationed in Virginia or in Florida, Pensacola, or we're going to be stationed in Hawaii. This is where my life will be. And I'm like, well, I want to live in Germany. This is where I want to go and live and do. So anyway, we kind of broke up after, you know, long distance relationship, that sort of thing. But my senior year, he calls me up and he says, Mel, guess where I'm at? I said, I don't know. Where are you at? And he says, I'm in Germany. And I'm like, why are you in Germany? So, well, I got my, got my wings, um, but I got out of the, the pilot system. I'm now working for the NSA, National Security Agency. Yeah. And it's in Germany, or it's in southern Germany in Bavaria in Bad Eibling. And he says, come and join me um, down here. And I'm like, well, actually, I'm going to be in Germany this summer for this internship. And he says, well, and I'm working for an airline. And when you work for an airline, you can fly standby for free. And yeah. so he says, okay, come. And I said, all right. So I get there and I go and visit him in the summers on the weekends when I'm not working. And we fall back in love. And the plan is that I will graduate and go and live with him and have our life after all. And um, this is you know, going to be good. But we end up uh, breaking up right before I'm about to graduate. And this is a bad thing because all through your senior year, um, recruiters come on campus and they will schedule interviews and things for people. So everyone's walking to campus in suits and they've got their resume and they're trying to get their first oh, job. Okay. So as soon as they graduate in May, they've got a job. I'm ignoring all this. Like, I don't have to worry about it. I got a job. You know, I'm going to be living in Germany with my man. So I'm not going and graduating. I'm not doing any of this kind of stuff. Well, I go for Christmas break. We fight like dogs and cats, and it's awful, and it just isn't going to work. And so we break up, and I fly home. The day I fly home, um, I fly home early before I was supposed to. Um, Grandma had had a stroke, and they didn't want to tell me that she had had a stroke. They just said, Grandma's not feeling good. And when I got off the plane, they said, she's in the hospital. Would you like to go and see her? And I said, oh, my gosh, I'm so tired. It was like this when you fly back from Europe, it's really long and you're off on your days and nights. And I said, okay, well, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay. Well, that morning, um, the next day when I got ready, I was getting ready to go and I just started, I felt something. Yeah. She passed away and, um, went up to the hospital and she had just passed. I missed seeing her and it was really devastating because grandma was one of my biggest, um, cheerleaders and supporters and was there for me and, uh, had always, just supported me so much, grandma and papa both. And so it was devastating. And so I was, I ruined my plans to be with this guy in Germany. I lost my grandma. What was I going to do? I had one semester left. And at this point, I don't want to go back to Germany. I was just done. I'm just like, I can't handle it. I'm over it. What am I going to do with my life? Yeah. Real like 
on my knees to Jesus moment. And I remember again, just on my knees in my room, looking up, crying, streaming down. And I just kind of felt this presence of peace, like it'll be okay. Try to get back up on that horse. One of my good friends in the Catholic story, Jackie Hughley, I said, Jackie, your brother was really handsome. I saw him at that party before I went um, on Christmas break. Please hook me up with your brother. He's so cute. And she says, no, I don't think he's your type. I said, come (laughs) on, Jackie. I need something to make me feel better. I'm super depressed. And she's like, I don't know. Wow. And so um, despite her, he comes in town a lot because Jason had graduated uh, two years earlier and was living in Houston. But for fun, he'd still come back in Austin because Austin's where it's at, right? Sixth Street and partying and girls and things like that. So she said, well, he's coming in this this weekend. And I said, great. Well, let's hook up. Let's go to this restaurant beforehand. We're going to go see Spike and Ike's Twisted Film Festival. And this was the very beginning when they would have um, the very beginning um, clips of South Park. Yeah. And it was like those weird kind of um, cartoons where it was a cartoon that was edgy. And it was like, what? Yeah. And I was like, let's go and see this. Yeah. And she's like, no shows me on this. And I'm like, "Who? Is, why does he not care about me? And despite her... He, she didn't tell him that I wanted to see him. And <laughs> we end up seeing each other and he clicks with me and I click with him. And it's just like love at first sight. And we loved each other from the get go. And um, we, when I graduated, I just felt like he was such a blessing. And again, I kind of look back and I'm like, you know, I went through all this pain, went through all this heartache and uh, God had a plan better than me. Like I thought I could control my life. I thought I could be like Miss Thing. I'm going to Germany. Yeah. I'm going to do this. And then God systematically took every little pillar that I had, that I leaned on, that I thought I could use and said, no, my plan is better. And it is better. He gave me Jason. And uh, yeah. Jason asked me to marry him that summer, um, like in July. And we were married the next year. So in 2000, uh, it was March 31st and uh, April 1st. We had two weddings. You know that. Um, because basically we put down a deposit to hold. It was so hard back in the days before kind of internet and cell phones were really readily available. You would call the venue and you'd say, this date's open. And then you'd go back to the church and they'd say, oh, well, that date's booked. And I'm like, dang <laughs> it. So, okay, hey, venue, is this place open now for yeah. the reception? And then, no, this one's open and back and forth. So we said, we want this venue. We don't want it to go away. Here's our deposit of $500. And then we go back to the church and the church is like, no, we don't have this date. And we're like, too bad. We're getting married there <laughs> on that date. And then the church can't have it. So we're going to have our church wedding, yeah. our Catholic church wedding on the Friday night. Mm-hmm. We're also real rebels because we're doing it during Lent. And you're not supposed to get married during Lent. Oh, I but we're that. all like, you're not the boss of me. So I'm doing it anyway. So basically during Friday night mass at the church where they were normally having a Friday night la- mass and people go to the stations of the cross afterwards, I it's a solemn yeah. thing. And then they go and eat their fish fry. We had in the middle of like, so they did the mass <laughs> and in the middle of the mass where the homily, they're like, we now have a wedding. This is quite unusual. And then Jason and I were sitting in the front row and they're like, please come to the front for the wedding. So imagine just sitting in a church, you know, like the guy was here at church today and he was talking about his mission, just sitting up and go, now we will be having a wedding. And so basically I- Jason and I stood up and we said our vows yeah. and it was nice. And then we went and sat back down in the end of mass. And then everyone goes on, pays their penance and stuff in the middle <laughs> of serious Lent when you're supposed to be all contemplative on Christ's, you know, sacrifice for us. But I was like, I'm going to do my own thing. I do not. I, I remember the, I remember that. I remember the wedding. I don't, I don't, I did not know. Yep. Not Lent. So then the very next day <laughs> I go and have wedding number two 
at the reception, and then Jason's a big Italian family guy has a former priest as an uncle who comes and says the service for us at our second. This is Matthew McConaughey's place, right? No, allegedly, no, it wasn't. It was in a movie though, um, Spy Kids, Spy Kids movie. This is where they filmed it. It was called Troy Estates. It's not there anymore. We went up and looked on one of our last anniversaries in Austin. We drove up there, and it is um, just a home again. It was a home that they had turned into an events facility. Pull the mic towards you. Closer? No, pull them. If you want to lean back, pull them, pull them back towards you. Here you go. Oh. So anyway, that's uh, – anyway, so we got married, and here we are. I'm, I'm about to have my 19th wedding anniversary. Yeah. I'm old, Dan. It's happening. You're old, too. You're not far behind me. Just three years. No, I'm not. We're officially getting old. Yeah, we are. Okay, so um, on that note, we'll just... Church Table Productions. It's brought to you by Anchor.fm. Anchor.fm is sponsoring Church Table Productions. Productions at gmail.com is where you can reach us. Email me. Email anybody on this show. Church Table Productions will get back to you as soon as I can. Church Table Productions at gmail.com is all one word. If you're listening to the show, you're probably listening to it on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Subscribe to us there. Follow us on Spotify. Listen to us on Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Stitcher, Overcast. Like us on Facebook. And that's about it, folks. Back to the show. So we'll go back to some questions here. Uh... Growing up, were you ever confronted or challenged because of your religion? Yeah, I do have a couple instances. Um, So, of course, dad wasn't. So why is dad not going to church? So why does this apply just to mom and the kids and not him? Yeah. So that was kind of like a a sticking point because I, too, wanted to stay at home in my pajamas and watch cartoons. Okay. Yeah, me too. So... There's that. And then um, I'm in high school and I have a boyfriend named Don and he is a Baptist. He plays the trumpet. He drives a station wagon. I remember Don. He's my first boyfriend. Well, not my first, but like one of my first more serious ones. Yeah. Technically, my first boyfriend was Creature, Jeff Williams. He was the drumline uh, guy, red hair. And uh, his name was, his nickname was Creature. That funny. Anyway. I don't remember (laughs) We're still friends on Facebook. He's a really nice guy. Was he the uh, drummer for Dusu? Was he playing Dusu? I don't know. No. No. I don't think so. Anyways, folks, there's a band, local band that they all started at Newman Smith, the high school we went to, and they're called Dusu Emmy Award winners. So I didn't know that. I didn't know they were Emmy Award winners. <laughs> yeah, they got Emmy, cool. and then they broke up ten years. Later. Oh, you're probably about another Jeff. That was Jeff something else. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, well, that's good. <laughs> so uh, boyfriend. Um, he is a Baptist, and yeah. I did not know. I just was going along like, of course, I'm, I'm Catholic. You're this. You don't go to church. Whatever. We're all one happy oh, you're family. Mo- okay, you model Everyone it, yeah. is like, cool. Yeah. But then I find out I meet his his mom, and his mom is like, you can't date her. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I, I'm not allowed to date you because you're Catholic. <laughs> well, what does that mean? Well, Catholics don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And they yeah. pray to Mary. And I'm like, what? 
what do these words mean? I don't know what you're talking about. And so he had to secretly date me. His parents did not know he was dating me. Oh. So every time he was going on a date with me, which was every Friday or Saturday night that we didn't have band um, <laughs> competitions or something, he was going out with his friends and he was picking me up and then taking yeah. me home. And I couldn't call him. He had to call me because if he called the phone, if I called on the phone, his mom knew he was with me. Now he had a sister named Melanie too. Um, ironically, yeah. and she was my age. He was two years older than me. And uh, so I was like, what? What's going on with this? They did uh, take me one time to their church. He, it was it was uh, First Baptist of Dallas downtown. He played in the band, and I went to see him perform in the band or whatever. And, but then after that, they were like, you can't be with that Melanie. She's bad. <laughs> She's Catholic. And yeah. I'm like, What? So I was always the bad girl, you know. So anyway, that didn't last too long. The other one was when I married Jason. Jason's mom is um, a born-again Christian. Yeah. So he grew up very Catholic. Uh, traditionally, his dad's still very Catholic. Um, but his mom broke away at some point in the mm -hmm. in his youth um, and started joining a uh, Bible-based church community. So when I was dating him, uh, she knew that I was Catholic, and uh, she would confront me and say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Yeah, I remember she asked me the same thing too. And I was like, I uh, yes, uh, I think I do. She goes, you should know. And I was like, well, I mean, I pray, I go to church, I take the communion, I take the holy body and blood of Christ. I'm pretty solid. But as a good future daughter-in-law, I want to make her happy. Yeah. So she takes me and drags me along to all sorts of these women's retreats where they're very charismatic, hands in the air, swaying back and forth, yeah. singing. And it's it's a culture shock to me because, of course, the Catholics, I, sit, I stand up and they sit down yeah. and I sing, but it's not like this. And so it made me with my faith become very apologetic. Apologetic meaning um, I have to explain myself. Yeah. Why do I believe what I do? What does it really mean? Because she's telling me that, I don't have, I don't love Jesus. And I'm like, what? I mean, I, everything yeah. we do is about Jesus. Were you not listening? That's what bothers me when people are anti-Catholic. I'm like, did you go to mass? Were you listening yeah. to everything we just said? Because it's all about, it's all about Jesus. I promise you. But she questioned me and I wanted to be like, well, I love my faith and I love the history. We're not perfect. We have all sorts of bad stuff. You have bad popes. I mean, now in this day and age, you see bad stuff on TV about priests doing bad stuff, but that doesn't stop the faith that, you know, the faith is, is God and man is flawed and that's going to happen to, it, it happened in the past. It's going to happen in the future. Yeah. And it happens in their churches. You just, it isn't organized enough. If a, a bad pastor goes rogue, that church closes, and then there's a new super pastor down the road. Yeah. That's what happens. Ours is institutionalized, and it's big. And so that's why they have someone to sue. They have somewhere to go because yeah. there's that much wealth. It's been around that long. So anyway, she drags me to all these, you know, women's group things and stuff. And, and it was actually very good. It made me really open my Bible Unlike I had, I had done Bible studies before. I had like a Catholic student Bible and I had the little tabs on them because yeah. when I was at the University Catholic Center, we would have retreats and stuff and I would, you know, pull open and look at scripture, but not like this. They were real Bible thumpers. Mm -hmm. So it made me get into it deep. 
Uh, and it uh, made me say, you know what? I do believe this, but I also, I mean, I believe what you do too. I'm not going to, just because you hurt me, I'm not going to say, well, you don't believe in God either. Yeah. So I'm like, yes, well, let's, let's all believe together. Let's all hold hands yeah. and pray. So I just kind of was nice to her. And of course, I'm trying to get along with my future mother-in-law and who is my mother-in-law now even. Um, so I'm going along with her um, and really joining and, in, in, you know, trying to get the best out of it. And so now I feel like I'm more of a hybridized Catholic more than ever because I do like that a little bit element, that praise and worship aspect that they have mm -hmm. with the Catholics. So I kind of like take a little Joel Osteen yeah. and a Catholic, you know, <laughs> yeah. I kind of take both of both worlds. I, uh, Jason and I too, when we first got married, um, wanting to be involved in our faith, knowing that that was the cornerstone of our marriage, we were very active in the church and joined like a small um, couples group uh -huh. and we got involved in that. And then we started doing, we were RCIA sponsors. So this is right of Christian initiation. So people that wanted to become as adults, Catholics that didn't do the traditional as they were children, their sacraments, they suddenly want to become full Catholic. Mm -hmm. We became sponsors. And when they do that as an adult, again, you're relearning everything about your faith, that you're going through the catechism, you're learning what is it to be a Catholic, and we go through the whole thing up to Easter um, Tridium, where we actually, everyone becomes, you know, confirmed on Easter. And that, we did that for several years and loved that. And again, that really strengthened my faith again in the actual um, Catholic faith and why we, you know, do what we do. There's a reason why we're standing up and sitting down. There's a reason why we're mm -hmm. bowing and we're crossing ourselves. Mm -hmm. There's a method to the magic. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so there is that. So I really enjoyed doing that and that. Um, and so I, I, I am a very strong um, Catholic, practicing Catholic. I, um, I'm raising my kids that way. Um, I, I imagine they're going to, in their lives, run into people that will question their Catholic faith. And I want oh, yeah. them to be more so than we were um, understanding why they are Catholics. Because, you know, I didn't listen to your past podcast where you had talked about your faith and you didn't really understand and you just kind of went along with it. I mean, I knew I was a little more aware of it than you were, I guess, because I chose to be. Um, I am making sure that my kids understand why they're Catholic and um, why they choose that. And they'll go through the confirmation as well and um, make a, a choice whether they want to be confirmed as Catholics or not. Well, so going back to uh, your mother-in-law, she questioned me once too. And, uh, and I'd say, yeah, of course I am. But through my, through high school, I went my own way mm -hmm. from the Catholic church and I was born again. But knowing enough to know that just because you're there's more there's more than one ways to love Jesus, mm -hmm. and the way that a lot of Baptists see it, no, there's no other way. This is the way. Mm -hmm. And if they actually read their Bible and and actually start listening to other other denominations, it's all about Jesus. No matter what, Jesus started this whole thing, not Baptists. Yeah, sorry, hey, burst your bubble, dude. But 33 A.D. it's happened. And we're here today because of him, regardless of what you think, regardless of when your denomination started, mm -hmm. it started with him. And that's that. Yeah. But they're so close minded about it. I'm just like, how do you focus? How, how, how do y'all actually go to church and say, how, how can you sit there and say, this is the only way when everybody is saying, no, man, this is not. 
Yeah. How closed-minded can you be? So anyways, but I've heard this before a thousand times. I even went toe-to-toe with the Baptist pastor down here at the mega church once. He's like, well, I got documents. All right, man, bring it on. Let's just see those documents that you have from Jesus before uh, before the schism happened, dude. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's bring it on, dude. Because I can tell you, 1600 was not 33 AD, brother. And he's like, well, I said, all right, so come on, bring it. And he didn't bring it. Because he knew at that point I was right. Because there's one thing a lot of denominations do not argue about is historical fact. And historical fact is you cannot argue that. You, you, you can discuss it. People will go with you on it. But this bottom line, they know it's right. Yeah. So, wow. Um, anyways, let's uh, – wow, man. I can't believe that's uh, – so go to so – <laughs> Um, so you, you questioned your, you, you did question your faith at one point <clears throat> or did you not? Was it in college or something? No, I mean, I already, I always had a faith with God, but I think I was, um, I was like, God, are you there? You know, help me out. Make yeah. yourself real to me. I'm in peril right now. I yeah. don't know where to go with life. And I think he answered me. You know, he doesn't talk, he can talk loud to some people, uh, to me, it's a quiet whisper. It's a nudge. It's a sense. It's a comfort. It's in my inner voice. Um, I've never like actually heard him talk to me uh, out loud, that sort of thing. But I have a knowingness and a peace, yeah. and that's that's how he talks to me. That's that's all. That's all it needs. That's all you need. As long as you know, then you're in a right spot. So, okay, when you start looking for a husband, when you sit on top of that mountaintop, yeah, <laughs> like a pop story of anything. Uh, you sit on the mountaintop and you're sitting there and you're like, I need this. Did you model this off of mom and dad? No. I mean, of course, I wanted to be my own my own person. I yeah. mean, of course, I understand now mom's uh, and dad's relationship. I have a lot more empathy towards them and where they're at and that sort of thing. And it's, you know, everyone is their own way. There's no right or wrong. Um, I can't judge you know, they have, I don't really want to go into to that as much. I, I really felt like I was just doing my, I was doing Melanie. But I know that coming in my marriage with Jason, I have, you know, worked out a lot of my demons that I have from my family life with him. Yeah. So, you know, I made sure like dad was always watching sports yeah. to the point of like, I can't be at this thing of yours because there's a sports game on and that would never happen in my house. Oh, you know, like, hold on, we're not going to do this because sports is on. And so that will never happen in my house, you know? And I, in understanding yeah. that, you know, but if, if Jason was like, this is my passion, this is what's really important to me. I might be like, okay, well we'll work around this. You know, yeah. I always felt like sports came first with dad and that really bothered me a lot. Um, so in those ways, like I did kind of consciously, you know, I mean, it's your own personal preference, that sort of thing. But, um, I mean, mom and dad gave us, mom was just a really loving, uh, compassionate, caring, unconditional kind of love, loving parent. And I love that about her. And I try to model that, you know, absolutely with my kids. They love her. So literally when I can't get something, like if I'm cooking something or I'm doing something, I'll say... My mom used to cook this at home. I think you're going to like it. Then they'll eat it because they know KK made it like yeah. this. 
I actually have to use her, her influence to make my kids do it or something, you know, or I'll say, well, KK would say this and that and they're okay. And then dad's fabulous. He's always into their um, sports and things. He calls and wants to know the latest yeah. updates of when they played ball, how did it go? What was, how many hits they had? I mean, he wants a play-by-play account yeah. of all they're doing and what they're doing. And he reaches out and calls them a lot. So he is a fantastic grandfather. I can't say enough about that. He think he really cares and loves about them. You know, Henry, my son is a type one diabetic and, um, dad's very concerned about that. Right. He calls regularly to check on Henry's blood sugars and make sure he's doing good as does mom. And so they're just really involved. They couldn't be the best. They couldn't even be better grandparents. They're absolutely fabulous. So I love them dearly. So that's awesome. What does mean? So you, so, okay. The question, what the reds wants to ask questions because there's some kids out there who have a divorced parents Mm -hmm. and, and they're still involved in a church, but because they're involved in a church, the church tells them you need to be married. But the way they grew up, they're not willing to be married because your mom and dad aren't married. So you grew up in a Catholic church. You grew up parents married. So that was like, this is what I need to do because I'm Catholic? Or it's what I need to do because I want to do this? I wanted to be married. Yeah. I did see, though, uh, uh, there was a... I guess there was that pressure you do to be married in in the church. I did feel like I want to be traditional in the sense that I'm not going to have kids outside of marriage. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to... I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I am traditional and I did want to follow the church's teachings on that. But on some teachings like birth control, I've used birth control before, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. So, like, I guess then yeah. I'm not so of a perfect Catholic because, you know. Um, there ain't no such thing as a perfect Catholic. Yeah. No. Like, yeah. so I guess I'm on the cart in, in some ways. Yeah. I don't always agree with some other politics. And, uh, but I, I still call myself a Catholic. And I, you know, and I think in the old days you had, you know, grandma and papa. Yeah. All right. So the reason why Papa didn't come to Mass. He's Methodist. He was Methodist. He was married before. Dirty. Shut up. Dirty secret. Dirty little skeleton caught. He was married. He had a first marriage and he got divorced. And because he was divorced, Joan K. Adams married a divorced. So she was persona non grata. She wasn't able to take communion. So even on our, when I had my first communion, I remember going, grandma, come take communion. She's like, oh, I can't. And I didn't know why. She couldn't. So because back in the day, I guess he didn't have it. um, Oh, what's the word where you get it? um, Annulled. Annulled. He didn't get it annulled or they didn't do the thing and he didn't do RCIA. That's just the way it was. But she still raised mom Catholic and went through the whole thing. And I didn't find that out until after he died. Uh, just now finding this out. This sucks. Yeah. So. Sorry. <laughs> so that's what happened. So basically, oh. she wasn't like out. And so, and then dad didn't want to participate because he was not a Catholic. And it wasn't an ironic. So, if y'all don't know this, my dad did. And let me tell you something else. I believe in the power of prayer. So, when I'm married to dad, or I'm married to Jason, uh-huh. I start a prayer. And I'm going to take credit for this. I'm going to, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit credit for this. But when it was early on, dad was still not a Catholic and it really bothered me. Yeah. So I would go to mass at uh, St. Cecilia in, in Houston. And I would light a candle over at the altar of Mary. Yeah. Every day, every week praying that my dad would become Catholic someday. Very specific way before he did. Yeah. Kept going, kept going, kept going. 
lo and behold, you want to know that God listens? Dad calls me out of the blue and says, guess what? I am taking classes. And I'm like, shut the front door. (laughs) You are? Oh, my gosh. And so I don't tell him this, of course, because he'll be like, oh, it's all my idea. Yeah, it's your idea, Dad, I'm sure. But I totally feel like it was the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was all working through us. But so now it's funny. And I actually would go to his classes with him. I attended a few. And he was this guy that was this muckraker in the class. He would raise his hand and he would (laughs) talk and ask all the hard questions. You know, everyone's allowed to Mm -hmm. kind of ask questions and stuff. And I came in one day and they had asked me something and I had a lot to say about it because I was going through RCA at the time and, and and I had a lot to put into it. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I talk so much. And they said, well, we... We expect you to. You're Calvin's daughter. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And they said, well, your dad talks the whole time. <laughs> and I was dying. I'm like, my dad? Wait, who? Yeah. I wanted, yeah. I wanted to be able to answer him. And he was yeah. like this big questioning it and answering it. So, I mean, God is awesome. Like, basically, he got dad's heart right. So yeah, that's good. I love it. I mean, glory be to him. That, if you don't know, I mean, if you question if there's a God, that'll make you believe it right there. Our dad, out of all people... Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> I'm stuck on Papa now, man. Oh, sorry. <sighs> okay. Because in, in Mom's show, and in, in Kay Lewis' show, the uh, I called Papa. I realized Papa was a madman. Like the TV show Mad yeah. Men. Because I didn't know he rode a train every day. Yeah. And Grandma was pretty much a single mom. Yeah. Except on the weekends. Yeah. Man. I don't want to, I'm trying not to put this together, but okay. No, I, I think he was a very honorable person. I know he was an honorable person. When I was with him, after Grandma died, I hung out with him a lot. Because I did too. I go up to the lake a lot with him, and we would go to his, he went back to the Methodist church. Yeah. And he was very serious. Like, he told me, I am now becoming a member of the church. And I was like, well, what, what does that mean? Like, okay, aren't you just coming? And he's like, no, I've officially become a member. And for him, it was for him saying, like, I've put my name back on this official membership roster. He had felt for all these years adrift at sea. But he felt like, Melanie, I am now a member. And he was very dutiful in his tithing. He was giving his money. He felt very dutiful. And I would go with him. And I could see him making, like, like a decision for himself. Like, I'm doing this. This means... I am serious about it. And I was like, good for you, Papa. Like, I never questioned it. Again, because in my family, the faith is always with the women and the children and the men, whatever, yeah. you know. But it was him being very purposeful. So I thought that was a beautiful lesson that comes full circle that God showed me that, you know what, Melanie, it isn't always that way. Men can have that faith too. And, uh, they, yeah. and he showed me in my family that it can happen. Even you, I kind of laugh a little bit because you were not the most faithful guy in your earlier years. I mean, you Whoa, did, no. you did some, you did some, you were very heavy with uh, David Stanley and his church and you were involved in that. And then you kind of went wild and I kind of laugh a little bit. I also prayed for you yeah. and I think it's really sweet too, that you kind of came around back into your faith and kind of yeah. came back to you and, and found Julie. I, I don't think that's an accident. No. I think that's all meant to be. And, and I think full circle and very meaningful too. So. So, so a lot of people, so for those of you listening who are not Catholic, all right, so the way Catholic Church works when, when people could become married and if they get divorced, so the Catholic Church strongly, strongly discourages against divorce. Um, Why is that? It's like a mortal sin. But because it's a sacrament. It's you a made sacrament, a sacrament yeah. to God. You made a promise to God 
and to the Holy Spirit yeah. and to people that you've marriage is not entered into lightly. In this no. day and age, you know, you've got what like something like forty percent divorce rate. You know, it's like two years, man. <laughs> so, so in a Catholic church, what happens is when when somebody gets married, they get divorced. If the divorcee, divorce whatever, the man or woman, they want to get married again. And if they want to get married again inside inside the Catholic Church, they have to go back and get the marriage annulled through the church itself, through the Catholic Church. Uh, legally, through the state of Texas or whatever state you're in, it doesn't matter because it's a legal it's a legal binding that you you went through. But if you want to get married in the Catholic Church, you have to go get this permission slip basically to get annulled. Um, but if their person has died then it's done with. There's no annulment. Yeah, like, to death to us part. To death to us part. So, um, okay. So uh, I did not know that. This is going to suck. So anyways. Um, <laughs> oh, it doesn't. Well, I mean, I, I had no idea. Um, now it makes kind of more sense, I think, I guess. I don't know. I just thought Papa didn't go because he's Methodist. Like, Dad didn't go because he's Baptist. And so growing up, my, me too, I was just like, Dad ain't going. I don't want to go because Dad ain't going. Why should I go if Dad ain't going? Yeah, you're not a woman, right? Uh, yeah, I was just like, oh, Dad. <laughs> so I just like, this sucks. Any, anyway, so uh, yeah. so you get married and 19, 18, and 18 years and seven months ago, basically, right? Because mm-hmm. April's around the corner. And I remember this wedding. This was the, I, okay. Sorry for all those who weddings I've been to, but my sister's wedding was the next to mine was like the best wedding I've ever been to. Oh, because so Melanie got married on a Friday night at the church on Sixth Street. Was it Sixth Street, right? No, the rece- or there was rehearsal dinner number one. It was rehearsal dinner slash wedding number one was on Sixth Street at a restaurant called Carmelo's, but it was near the campus. It was uh, St. Austin's. Okay, okay, so I'm wrong about that. All this time, very close so, to it though. It's so, all kind of downtowny area. So. Yeah, so she gets married on Friday night, and it's a big Catholic thing. And then because in the Catholic Church, you're not married unless you get married in front of the priest. Um, in the church, actually. In the church. Uh, so then... There are now... So I'm in the wedding business now, and there is actually... It's called, like, ch- uh, Church Without Borders or something. And you actually can have a priest now come to your venue. Oh, so yeah. see, it used to be, if you were really Catholic, you literally had to have the mass in the actual building itself, then reception elsewhere, if you were going to be Catholic. Yeah. Otherwise, nah. It wasn't really legit. Well, that was the thing that me and Julie looked at was doing a destination wedding, saying we're going here. But it's the, not well, the thing was that we had to get the priest at this, the find a priest on that place, yeah, a proxy, epoxy, to marry us for St. Catherine's here in the home church. Wow. And it was like a big deal. I was like, well, let's do that way. We're like, no, actually, we need to do this for the family too. Because in the end, the Catholic Church, if we get married in a Catholic Church, it's not about you. It's about God. And it's a big show for everybody but you. Well, because we're one family, one faith. You yeah. know, when you're getting married, it's not, let me tell you, I thought I was just marrying Jason Hughley. I married his mother. Yeah. And his daddy. Yeah. And his sister and his whole family. That's the what you find out is when you marry someone, you're marrying in that family. You're joining two families. Yeah. You really are. As much as you want to start your new life, you you come with that baggage of the other family. Yeah, I know. I live five minutes from mom and dad. It sucks. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I, I wanted to live in McKeem. She's like, no, we can move right here. So yeah. There's also her family. Let's be fair. Her oh, family's yeah. close. So it's not just about our family. Well, she's an only child. So she's like, I got to live close. Close. So don't blame it on yeah, our, just not, ours. Yeah, yeah. But my point is, um, when you are getting married, it isn't just about you. It is about the two families coming together to create a new family, your, yeah. your new nuclear family, as well as uh, it's the community. It's blessing you. And I remember very specifically how we would pray over you or for other people that your marriage would work. Mm -hmm. So when we, it's not just, you know, the priest saying the words and you promising to one another, we're all extending our hands and playing for God's blessings. Will we stand beside you when times get rough? Because times do get rough. Yep. And it's not by our human will that we can do. It is absolutely the Holy Spirit that's kept Jason and I together. We've had many rough, rough patches. Yeah. It's hard. It is a choice. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is in there all the time helping out and smoothing those gaps because, you know, we're two individuals. You know, it's very difficult to come and make two people carry the yoke together after, you know, all these years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So... Um, after you got married or, uh, did you ever, y'all wanted children? Is that the thing? Was that one of your things that you wanted children? And it was funny. Jason was, I knew he was kind of the one uh, in a lot of ways for many reasons, but one of them, I remember very specifically when we were dating, one of our first dates, seeing is, he said, you know, what do you, what do you think marriage is? And I said, it's three things to me. It's forever. It's children. And it's Catholic. And he just kissed me because that's what he wanted to. Oh, man. It's, so I wonder if his mom was, does his mom break away? Yes. Before that? Yeah, way before. Like he was in high school when it happened. Okay. So she had broken away and done her own thing. But she was always like the crazy mom yeah. away doing over what she did. And that's just her thing. Worst, his He and his faith and his sister and his dad were still plowing forward, still being Catholics, and his mom was off doing her own thing. So this really pushed him to find the same thing. I think he really saw value in it. Maybe he, in my opinion, he'll speak for himself, but I think he 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 felt the same way about his faith. It was important to him. Yeah. It is his beginning and end. He absolutely keeps the strength. He has very strong faith. Um, yeah, I really admire him. I mean, he's very solid with God. So was there? So y'all y'all started talking about kids before you got married. You're yeah. just dating. Yeah, you're like, yeah, we're gonna have kids. Yeah, because you basically go into it like, well, what do you? you were, how old were you? Well, I was like 22. I turned 23. And he's 20. He's he's 25, 26, three years, two and a half years older than me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, we knew that that's what we wanted. We wanted to wait a little while. Well, we didn't yeah. want to have him right away. Um. So, but yeah. He's actually, like, he is for sure, like, my perfect soulmate. Right on. So when y'all got married, the characteristics, what were y'all looking for? Someone who's just faithful and um, wanted to, to raise our family Catholic and wanted children. Yeah. Um, he also was very into, um, he, I spoke German, he spoke French. <laughs> so we both had experiences. He had studied abroad in France. I had studied abroad in German. He admired me. With my Germanness, because his grandfather was German, he really found that attractive in me and that experience. He wanted to encourage us to do that and travel abroad and do that sort of thing. And I, of course, you know, really enjoyed that someone also in, too enjoyed the international nature. We also like to eat international foods and 
you know, be yeah. adventurous and just, we thought a lot alike. In fact, I remember when we were dating, he would say things and I thought, are you, ki- are you yanking my chain? Like, are you kidding? Are you just saying that because you think that's what I want to hear? Yeah. Like, are you messing with me? Yeah. Are you messing with me, Kevin? You know, but no, he was serious. And I was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this guy is so the one. Wow. Wow. So when, uh, um, so raising kids in the church was never a question. Just, never a question. doing it. I was doing it. Yeah. Hands down. And I'm surprised how few people are doing it. In fact, some of those girlfriends I had in my um, Catholic sorority pulled away from the church. They're not Catholic anymore. They're raising their kids Methodist, this, that, and the other because they had, why. well, they had um, hangups about this, that, and the other. Yeah. And they just were like, no, we're switching churches. Huh. And I thought, how can you switch a church? That's who you are. This is who you are. Yeah. Well, actually, it's not that hard. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> but to yeah. me, it's like you're never going to un-Catholic me. Like well, I, yeah, I so. made some major like life commitments. I had some sacraments there. Like I can, I'll go to. I love going to um, yeah. Houston First Baptist. It's awesome. Oh, it's Second Baptist. Excuse me. Houston Second Baptist is awesome. I love Joel Osteen. He's in Houston. Fabulous. Awesome services. Is he short or tall? Um, kind of short. <laughs> yeah, I know people are always really short. You're always surprised how short people are. But then again, I'm tall and Jason is, so yeah. everyone's short compared to us. Um, but I love that stuff. To me, that is like vitamins. Um, Preach from the hips, what I call it. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's so motivating. Um, I have on my Sirius XM radio. Um, Joel Osteen has a radio station, mm-hmm. and I will listen to that. It's so encouraging and yeah. upbeat, and it is just like fuel for my soul. You know, it just bathes me in the word and helps me get on with my day yeah um i listen to a lot of uh greg uh greg lasturia um harvest church america in california he does a lot of preaching from the hip he's in fact he's one of these guys that is in tune with mel gibson and all these other uh, celebrity christians and stuff so i listen to a lot of his because shooting from hip because when i was growing up in high school i broke away and started i learned more about my faith through non-denominational churches than ever did in the Catholic church. And I find that I hear that a lot where a lot of people, including my wife and a bunch of other people that I go to church with now, I didn't learn my faith until I was in my 20s, late 20s. You weren't ready to hear it because it was just, it was the regular. It was just what it was. You know, it's kind of, you don't appreciate what you have until you don't have it. I felt that way too about even going abroad when I was in, you know, in Europe. You don't appreciate little things until you don't have them. And so it's not until you go somewhere else that you realize, wow, this is different. And so I think that's why it's so important that we go off to college or yeah. we tr- people go and travel the world. You know, I'm sure this, I mean, this is a tale as old as time. Yeah. You don't know what you have until you don't have it. And so going and, and experiencing something different yeah. makes you understand where you came from, why, mm-hmm. and who you really are. And, and then you get to choose, now what? Who am I going to be? Where do, where do I really want to land on the spectrum moving forward? That happened when I was 30. Hmm. Came back. So, what yeah. were you thinking the whole time? Like, what, what were you doing? Like, age 18 to 30, where, what were you thinking spiritually? The hell with the Catholic Church. Why? Because I didn't, I wasn't, um, I thought the Catholic Church, I thought the Catholic Church growing up through high school and into my 20s was, it was a good thing for those who used it, who needed it. Uh, but there's more than one way to love Jesus. And which is, True. It's true. And, 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 um, I mean, there's true in that there's more than one way to love Jesus. Yes. What, that's actually a good question. I did really think about that. One day, the, the, I had a phone call, um, and it was a person doing a survey of 
um, like a Catholic census, basically. And I was, I was at home. I was living back at home. It was one of my transition times. And the person was asking me, what about the Catholic Church? Why don't you like the Catholic Church? And I started answering her about the Catholic Church. And I realized I know way more about the Catholic Church than I led on to because I'm telling her all things I hate about the Catholic Church, which are actually very true things about the Catholic Church. And so I was like, I know more. So I know more about the, the Catholic Church than I thought I did just because I hate it so much I learned about it. And a lot of people, they learn, they learn, they love what they hate. And so when I found myself, I was actually dating somebody um, when I went back to the church and she was not Catholic at all. I don't even know what she was, but she wasn't Catholic. She definitely wasn't. She called a Catholic that cult, the cult. And I looked at her, I was like, it's not a cult. Do you know what Catholic church? She goes, no, and I don't care. I'm like, all right, well, then that's that. So, um, and in, in that early, in that time, I was like, okay, I'm about to turn 30. It's time to get practical. I want to get married. You are not the one because you're not, you're, you are saying it's a cult. That's a no for me automatically. And then, so I was like, all right, see you, adios. And then we bro broke up and moved back home and, and, um, and I found myself sitting on the footsteps of the old church when I was 30. I said, all right, time to get practical. Let's figure this out. And then two year, like two years later, I meet Julie. And then my whole 30s have been with Julie. So, yeah, that was the, that was when, man, <laughs> damn it. Dang it. Wow. Okay. So this is really a deep conversation I was planning on having. I didn't know this could go this way, but this is great. People are going to love this show. Um, <laughs> well, I was just like, I don't, cause I asked you, come on. It's like, I had no idea where to go for it. I had no idea what this was going to happen. And then, well, so yeah, there's things I'd never knew about you because you were alone for the most part. Like Bobby and Bonnie, we have two siblings, younger siblings. Uh, we have a little one, Bobby, he's 27, 28. And then a little one, Bonnie, she's 22 or 23. He's 20, wait, no, he's 31. He's 31. Because I'm 42. He's 11 years younger than me. Mm -hmm. And then Bonnie, she's 22. Two. Okay. Uh, where's it going with this? Because she's 20 years younger than me. 20 years younger than this. Okay. Um, so, so, okay, so what I was going with is Bobby and Bonnie, they had us to kind of bounce off us. But you were staring on your own all by yourself all through college and so that what did that lead to yeah you had no help basically not from family because mom and dad were completely blind to everything that was going on yeah i remember calling mom my freshman year in college and uh well dad i didn't have a great relationship with no. it took me a lot of years to get okay with him um but mom i remember calling moms saying i'm really depressed i think i want to kill myself and she said, hmm, that's nice, honey. Okay, I got to go. I'll talk to you later. And like got off the phone with me real quick. She couldn't handle it. She was like, I'm out. And I was like, oh, well, she's not there for me. So what do I do now? So she just couldn't handle it. She um, she had you at home still. She had Bobby and she. Uh, uh, Bobby's just born at that point. Uh, no, yeah. no, he was older. He was like mm, He's elementary school. He was elementary yeah. school. 87. Okay. And then he, uh, and then when I was a sophomore in college, she gets pregnant with Bonnie. 
And that was mortifying, by the way. I remember, and I tell the story to everyone, everybody laughs about it, but here I am being immature and, and everything and just living my young college life. And then there's this young girl. And of course she looks like me because she's my sister. And people would come up to me and say stuff like, Oh, your sister's so, I mean, your daughter is so beautiful. (laughs) And it's not my daughter. This is my sister. I had it before. Gross. I am no. And of course, you know, and my mom's like, "Ah, ah," you know, so she had to start all over again. And let me tell you that baby phase is hard. So mom was just had her hands full. So what church do you go to down there? Um, Oh, we go to Christ the Redeemer. Christ the Redeemer. Since I was, it's huge. And um, we just, this morning we went to your uh, St. Catharines of Siena and we were laughing because we came in late. We had a late, we got caught off guard with daylight savings times today. And we were able to come in late and still find a seat. It's St. Christ Redeemer you have to get there so early to get a seat. And even if you're late, the standing room in the narthex is so packed, you can't even like find a place to stand. You're like outside of it. It is so bad. Even for holidays, for holidays, they have, you know, the ancillary church, they have the side churches all having simultaneous masses for the three masses. It's so big. There's so many. And I was surprised how few people were at mass today at St. We have about 1,200 families. Yeah. Y'all, I think y'all have like right, 5,000 <laughs> or 5,600 or something. How many priests do y'all have? It's not as many priests with lots of deacons. So oh, wow. maybe like three or four priests and then like, I mean, a dozen or more deacons. How okay. many serve at a mass? How many? Usually a priest and two deacons. Two deacons. No acolytes then. Uh, yes, but I don't... Um, they're not as regular for the 11 a.m. mass. I think they come from different masses. Yeah. There's a whole thing about that I, I know about because I'm on the altar a lot. Okay. Wow, man. Wow. All right. Well, you know, I think that's better cover it. Wow. I got a lot to work through now. I got to go see the shrink. Um, <laughs> okay. I've got a name of a few. <laughs> yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dan with Church Network Productions, joined by my, my beautiful sister, my guest, uh, Melanie Lewis. Or Melanie, Melanie K. Hugley. Hugley. So that's the show. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye.